You're listening to the Arizona Equals Conversation. I'm your host, Gene Woodbury. I'm the Interim Executive Director of Equality Arizona, and each week on the show, I interview a queer person living in Arizona about their story. We talk about the communities they've found and the communities they've left, the communities they've helped to build, and the communities that have made them into the person they are today. We're back from a short break with a series of interviews I recorded earlier this month in Tucson. I was really grateful to be hosted by one of our volunteers in his home in Tucson to record these three interviews. I'll be releasing those back-to-back over the next three weeks, and you'll hear some references between them. In today's interview, I talk with Juan McElroy about being a nurse and a father, and about finding empathy for people who don't seem to have any empathy for you. I really loved this conversation, so I hope you do too. And if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of the podcast, whether you're in Tucson or Phoenix or Flagstaff or anywhere in the state, please let me know. You can sign up at equalityarizona.org stories or send us an email directly at hello at equalityarizona.org. All right, let's roll the tape. Delroy. I am uh, a nurse, RN. Pronouns are he, him. Um, that's basically it. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for talking with me today. This is a really beautiful home that your, your friends hosted us in. Yes. Uh, I am really excited because you are the first interview I'm doing outside of Maricopa County. Okay. And I've been like waiting for the opportunity because the show is called the Arizona Equals Conversation. And so far it's been like phoenix equals and that's just not right yeah so how have you how long have you been in the area i've been in tucson now for probably 14 years um i grew up moving around a lot my dad's job um what did your dad do he worked for the federal prison renovating and different positions here and there so we um all over the u.s we moved around and we're originally from here so we ended up coming back here oh okay um, but yeah. so you have family roots here yes okay cool. well, originally i'm from mexico but never lived there oh okay yes but yeah tucson is home so we used to visit in the summer and all that so i was familiar with tucson and oh that's nice yeah. so it's always been part of your life yes i guess yes it's um interesting you say that because so many people from tucson go to phoenix i feel like like on the weekends because oh, yeah. the the gay scene's so not so big here um at least nightlife or um but it's 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 growing i think there's more um things more community being built um there's different like lgbt sports leagues now that they're doing on the weekends that a lot of my friends are a part of do you do that I don't personally, but I have a lot okay. of friends that do um, specifically kickball. They love that. Oh, interesting. I was just talking to someone yesterday who's in a kickball league. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I was like, this is a very, very gay sport, apparently. <laughs> it is. It's surprising. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I think there's a few other ones. Like I think I think there's a softball one as well. Um, is that something people travel for also, or mostly just for like the nightlife in Phoenix? They do they do tournaments. Um, oh, okay. So cool. my friends will do. I think it's uh, like. I don't know if it's quarterly torna- tournaments or uh-huh. something, but the, it's held in different places. So, like, San Diego, they've gone to Chicago, Texas. Oh, like it's like a national thing. National, yes. Oh, okay. I had no idea. Yeah. Do you go to any of the games? I don't go to as many as I should to support them, but I try. Mm, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting is you're telling me that a lot of people will drive up to Phoenix for queer community. Yes. When I was first coming out, I really didn't know where to find community in Phoenix. I okay. knew like, okay, there's like the, there's the bars downtown. Sure. That wasn't really my thing. And I ended up having a great friend in Tucson who was gay and had that whole community around her. And so I would drive down like once a month yeah. just to hang out in Tucson. I think, yes, the bar scene's definitely much better in Phoenix, but also they have, um, like I've seen brunches that they do or uh, different pool pool parties, things like events that are more focused to LGBT that Tucson doesn't really have that much of, at least not that they advertise if they do. Oh, interesting. Um, but there is a lot of LGBT people in Tucson. It's just, I find it that they don't, they, there's the small circle of commu- or groups of friends, but I, I feel like there's not something for people to just go and mingle. Or um, I remember they used to do... Um, I don't know if they still do it or not. I'm bad about that, but it was a more business centric group that would get together. I think it was month to month or like a every networking other month. kind of thing. A networking, yeah. Okay, but um, which is great for people that are in business, but for younger yeah. or um, you know early twenties, mid twenties, there wasn't really anything right. other than going to the bar scenes. Yeah, and that kind of networking thing isn't as relevant to you, I imagine. As it wasn't at that time, and then now, um, I just. Because I'm a nurse, it wasn't really, right. I'm not looking into business or anything. Yeah. Um, so it was a, different for exactly, me. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've just always felt like Tucson, in the core of the character of the city, it feels like a queer city in a way that Phoenix doesn't. But I right. I understand like there's more infrastructure and there's more spaces yes. in Phoenix. Yes. Is that something that's been moving in a positive direction in Tucson, at least? I think it has. And I think if you look at... Um, like uh, just voting populations are how think people vote. Mm. Uh, Tucson is a lot more liberal than right. Phoenix, which yeah, it's very funny because Tucson is smaller than Phoenix, but Phoenix has more events, but Tucson is more liberal. So it, it right. really doesn't make yeah. sense in theory, I guess. But <laughs> well, let's rewind back in time a little bit. You, you spent some time here as a kid. Yes. Did you have any real community here, or was it just sort of family? It was mainly family. Okay. Family, friends of family. Because you weren't in school here. No. Yeah. And, and because my parents are Mexican, so it was very, uh, people that they knew from Mexico that moved here or lived here or that they were connected through, um, friends and family from the town that they were from. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So how did you spend your time when you were here in the summers? It was just a lot of barbecues and family stuff, okay, yeah. or pool parties, that yeah, type of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I, I loved it here. I always thought it was so... Yeah. So neat and different from everywhere. I lived in Illinois, Washington, Texas, Louisiana. I mean, each place is different, but I just, I don't, there was something about here that always felt home. <laughs> Do you think it's that family connection and that cultural heritage? Um, y- yes, but also, I don't know. I just, I think I just really like it here. It's a lot more laid back. 
and also maybe subconsciously, I mean, you know, you know when you're young, like you, you know that you're gay, but you don't always know how to label it or what it is. I feel different. And Tucson's, like I said, a little bit more like free spirited with things. Whereas when I lived in um, Texas, obviously Louisiana, um, right. this town that I lived in Illinois was very um, small, conservative. Um, so here I felt a little bit more like free to be myself or more laid back or interesting. Yeah. yeah. And is that just because there was sort of like an absence of pressure or because there were like actual positive messages? Um, probably a little bit of both. Okay, um, and then also maybe my, my family is very tight knit. So maybe also feeling the support of my family, the, um, the safety, I guess, of my family yeah. as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Do you still have family here in town? Yes. Most okay, of my cool. family lives here in town. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. And I bet that's a great reason to stay also. It is. I have a three-year-old too. Um, my husband and I have a three-year-old and so it's very helpful to have family when you have a kid to, uh, you know, for babysitting, um, when I'm at work, we both have full-time jobs. So my parents watch him and, or my sister chips in or it's it's Uh, very handy. That's really, (laughs) that's, that's, that's very handy. Yeah. Yeah. So you moved here, you moved back here full-time about 14 years ago. Was that to go to school or just that was when your family moved back or um i moved here originally to go to school okay and then i moved away for a little bit to kind of find myself i moved to louisiana again uh to find myself uh ended up going through a relationship a breakup Mm -hmm. and then you know when you don't know where you're going or what you're doing you just kind of go back home and this was home yeah (laughs) and then i ended up finishing up school here nursing school at U of A? I actually went to Pima. I did a lot of different um, research on uh, nursing itself, the different schools. And Pima has a really, Pima Community College has a really mm-hmm. good program. Um, also significantly cheaper than yeah. U of A or I hadn't even, I had even looked into Grand Canyon. I got accepted to both of them. But then Pima called me last minute and they're like, hey, we have a spot because they had a wait list. And I was like, you know what? It's like significantly cheaper. Um, I had read that the Pima program is a lot more hands-on and really you get the same education because a lot of nursing just has to do with your experience. So where you graduate with nursing really doesn't really matter. It's more about your experience and like anywhere else, like who you know in the medical uh, field. Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of with any career. Right. But I think that's really cool. I love the community colleges. I don't have as much experience here in Pima, but the Maricopa Community College District is fantastic. I took a lot of classes there. One of the things that I really felt like I lost when I moved from the community college to ASU is the sense of community that I had mm-hmm. at the community college. Yes, yeah. there's a little bit of like a dorky thing to say. But like in a real way, like I felt like I could walk across campus and always see people I knew who knew me and I could say hi to. Yeah. And I went to ASU and it's a sea of 72,000 people and I can walk through crowds of people and not know anyone. Right. And it was shocking. Did you have like a good experience at Pima in terms of like feeling like you knew people making relationships with professors? I did. It was great. Um, because there are smaller classrooms. Uh, also it was really interesting going to a community college, um, I don't know if it's specifically with nursing, but we had students there of all ages. So we had, um, you know, from 21 to, there were some people that were in 40. 
um, yeah. starting over. So that was a really cool experience. But also, yeah, like with uh, like even going to U of A here, a lot of times um, students separate themselves like like in high school or groups where like they have the sororities, the fraternities, the different right. fraternities, the different groups that they're in or, hey, I'm in the business and you're this. And in the community college, it is kind of like, yeah, like you said, a community. <laughs> and it's a little too small to, I think, really break off into so many different groups. Right. Yeah. Usually. It was nice. Did you, so you, did you go to U of A then before Pima? No, I actually went to uh, McNeese University in Louisiana okay. prior okay. to, and then I got into the uh, nursing program at Pima. Ah, nice. Okay. Yes. I, I want to pivot a little bit because you mentioned you have a three-year-old kid. Yes. I think, you know, th- making the decision to start a family is, it's a big decision, right? It is. Um, it's something that I always wanted. It was one of those things where, you know, when you're dating, you have your um, non-negotiables. And for me, dating, that like, that was one of my non-negotiables. Like, oh, yeah. one day I want to have a kid. So, event, like, we weighed everything, like, you know, adoption, surrogacy, uh, fostering. And we ended up going with surrogacy for different reasons. Um, and it's been great. It's been a big learning curve. It, it's been interesting, especially, you know, being LGBT. And right. um, one of the things that we were talking about community, um, especially in Tucson, because there's not as many, it's not as big as like Phoenix, obviously. So, it, but it's it, not a small town. No, it's no, a, it's not a small town. City. Yeah. But uh, people, I feel like are a little bit more private here too. Like I said, there's a lot of like LGBT people and like, you would think that we all know each other, but we don't know each other. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's been interesting going and I'm sure this happens for straight people as well, but specifically with gay people, because gay, you know, it's, smaller community to have the gay community versus like, you know, straight community. Um, but where I was going with this is it's been interesting the past couple of years pivoting from having my single friends to kind of finding friends now that are more like, um, married or established or also have kids or want kids. Like you're saying, we're at Blake and Matt's house and they're, you know, um, married and also wanting to have kids. And so for for a while there, when my son was first born, I struggled because a lot of my friends kind of like um, almost distanced themselves from me because they didn't, I think they didn't know how to react to me being a parent, especially in the gay community, because so many gay people don't see themselves as parents or don't want to be parents or... Right. So it's been an interesting journey, but we definitely, I pivoted myself um, and now have, we've kind of formed our own little community with people who are um, more like married or have kids yeah. that are LGBT and or uh, now, was big that allies. Was that an intentional thing or was it sort of a self-selecting? It was, it wasn't at first, but then I, it was intentional because a lot of the single friends, like I said, they, you know, they have the kickball and I can't commit yeah. to doing a kickball every Saturday and Thursday or whatever they're doing because I have a three-year-old and I have a full-time job. Um, and then, you know, um, a lot of them go out and drink afterwards and I'm like, well, I have a kid to, you know, so a lot of them like wouldn't really good friends still, but like they wouldn't reach out or, you know, they wouldn't invite me to think because maybe they assumed, Oh, he's busy or, you know, he has a kid or he doesn't want to do that anymore. So definitely I, it, it was more intentional to try to find people that were more on my, um, speed or type of lifestyle that I yeah. had changed, which is interesting for, cause there isn't that many LGBT people that are having families. Is there any kind of like 
specific support network for LGBT families with kids? Or is it just sort of like the friend group that you've built? It's mainly been the friend group that I built. There is a small community here in Tucson. I actually haven't heard from them in a while, but it used to, they used to try to get together like bi-monthly and okay. go to the like park, some sort of event. But I think it kind of just fizzled out for some reason. Those things can be hard to sustain. It, it is. And like we said, when you have kids, you know, you you can't commit to things all the time <laughs> or things come up because, you know, yeah. your kid's throwing a fit or whatever. So I get it. But it's been it's been a learning curve for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you mentioned you made that a non-negotiable a long time ago. Like you've, you've wanted that for a long time. Now that you have a kid, it's, it's separated you in some ways from some people. Did it cause separation like that in terms of who you could find friends with, who you could date? It, it, um, as far as friends, no, but dating for sure. Or I, I had relationships that I thought were really in the past, um, dating relationships where I was like, oh, this is going somewhere. And they were, you know, I have my, we discussed like, you know, eventually I'd like to have a kid and everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And I had a couple relationships, um, for a long time. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, I had thought about it, but I don't know now. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, like this is something that I really want. This is what I see my life as. And we yeah. talked about this from the beginning. So it definitely did end a few, um, romantic relationships. Yeah. But, uh, no, for sure. As far as friendships, it doesn't, you know, if you have a kid or don't have a kid, it's harder, obviously, when your friends are single to make plans when you have a kid. But it was more of them being not knowing how to approach me now that I had a kid. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, not knowing how to approach you in terms of like, just, I don't understand the things you're going through, or like, I have mixed feelings about kids. I think like, a lot of us do have mixed feelings about family in general. Sure. You know, it, it's a it's a mix of everything. Because I had... I. I confronted a lot of my friends that did distance themselves afterwards because it was, you know, hurtful. Um, and it was, it was a mix of bad because it was some people just don't like kids, which, mm. you know, okay, I respect that, but we're supposed to be friends. Uh, <laughs> but, and then there's other people who, and I, and I don't mean to come off as like, um, I don't know if it's like condescending or feeling like I'm better, but like there's people that was like, you know, like I, I do want kids or that's the type of life that I see myself, but my life isn't going in that direction. And it was almost like uh they, they said themselves used the word almost like a jealousy or um, they, you know, they wanted what you have and because they didn't have it, they didn't want to be around you. And that was really interesting because I didn't see that and I've never wanted to flaunt something or, you know, it was just, this is my life and this is what I want for my life. And I was yeah. building it. I didn't ever, it didn't ever occur to me that that could be something that could happen. Well, I think that, you know, for people who have had difficult family experiences or people who want what you have and don't know how to get there, it can really hurt. Yes. And that's nothing about what you're doing. Right. But it's going to have an impact on that friendship. Yes. And, and that's why it was good that I did ask and confront them about that because I, I would have never thought that or assumed that. But it is. It's something that's valid and um, it's hard to deal. And I've seen that with other people, you know, where, you know, with careers even, like someone's career is taking off and yours isn't and you feel like they're more successful and you distance yourself from them. And right. Um, not to say that I'm more successful, but, um, <laughs> you know, like... If they want something that you want, which I mean, I don't have that because I, I like to support people, <laughs> not, not to say that others don't, but you know, it's, um, it's a valid feeling. 
Yeah, and it's it's something that I think becomes really difficult when you're living in a city where there isn't maybe a lot of queer community. Gay friend groups are sort of just you've got the friends you have. When something threatens those friendships, it's like, well, I really want to fight to keep this friendship. Right. And when you can't, it it feels like, okay, well, that's just I've gone from you know, five friends to four friends, and there isn't a fifth person to be friends with. Right. That's, I think, you know, that's maybe an over-exaggeration, but in some cases with some people, like, that's an experience. Do you feel like, and this is not to, like, put it on you, but do you ever feel, like, a responsibility around that in terms of, like, you have this great thing, right, that's working for you. Do you feel like that's something that can help those people who are having more trouble with that instead of being something that kind of they don't know how to deal with. Um, yeah. And I do, I do feel, especially with just how things are now with, um, you know, constant attacks, um, on the LGBT or trans community or whatever. Like it, I do feel a responsibility to, um, always show kind of like a positive light of it or like mm-hmm. the representation of it. That's why I yeah. put myself out there to, to show representation of it. Um, so I do feel a responsibility in that aspect. I see. Yeah. Um, but also I know that like, I'm not perfect. So I mean, and it's not, not on you. Like, you don't, <laughs> yeah. you don't really have a responsibility. <laughs> right. I, right. I think like some, sometimes I feel like, okay, if, if something's going wrong with a friend, there's one healthy way to deal with it, which is just to say, maybe this isn't, totally working right and then another version of it is okay if this is happening because we have limited possibilities in life and something isn't working for you and it is working for me maybe there's a way that we can work on this instead of just going our separate ways for sure and and that's something that i had to to work on myself because i had you know because they did um, some of these friends distanced themselves from me and it was very hurtful. So I had to overcome being hurt to try to find out what the reasoning was right. and then um, understand that their reason is a valid reason. Um, and, and, maybe, and it's not about me. It's it, maybe it's about them or it's about, yeah. you know, um, so it's hard, but I definitely don't want to lose those because, you know, a lot of times people in general, but gay people, we form, you know, our families are our, our, our chosen, chosen family, family yeah. um, which I'm lucky enough to have my very, be very close to my genetic family. But I also have that or like we hang on, I feel like to friendships a lot tighter because maybe yeah. we didn't have a lot of friendships or we didn't feel comfortable making those friendships when we were younger. So those friendships are very dear to me. So I did, I wanted to work on that and I felt a responsibility of like, okay, well, like let's overcome this and find a way to to stay because these friendships are so important to me because yeah they are my chosen family or were at some moment in my life (laughs) yeah chosen family is a really hard thing because it can just fall apart in a way that doesn't happen in exactly the same way with with biological family right right? the way that falls apart is is different and it can fall apart yes but with chosen family you kind of can just choose to walk away also but it it's important and i think a lot of the time people who aren't in the gay community don't actually understand that they don't understand how important a friendship can be right 
I wonder, you said your kid is three. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking back to three years ago, 2020, uh, there's a pandemic starting. You know, we're in, we're on April 1st, 2023 talking right now. We were like hiding in our rooms. What was going on for you? Um, well, because I'm a nurse, I was working in the hospital at the time. Um, I did have paternity leave, so that was really nice. Uh, it ended, it was a really bizarre time to have a kid because we did stay at home because we didn't want our kid to go out and, you know, like any newborn, we didn't want to take our kid out because they're, they have a new immune system, um, et cetera, et cetera. They're very sensitive. So we felt the beginnings of the pandemic, but also we were already staying home. So the whole thing was very bizarre. And my husband had like four months off. So he already was off from work and staying at home with the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was a very bizarre time because it's like we had our paternity leave, but then it felt like the whole world was on paternity leave with us. <laughs> this is something that, that your experience happened before everyone else's experience really got started. Right. My son was born in January, 2020. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we really like went into uh, quarantine before the actual yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow one of the things that was interesting for me is for that kind of like first few months of it i felt like as someone who felt isolated at the time anyway now i have people i can spend time with without having to leave the house yeah <laughs> if you were kind of in this like we don't go out we don't see people mode did it actually did any of it become like a positive thing for you it it, it actually did um Yes, because we didn't feel as, you know, isolated from everybody else because everybody else was isolated. Yeah. Um, It it was interesting, too, because um, just to pivot a little bit about positives from the pandemic, I was Mm -hmm. talking to a patient. um, I now work for uh, an oncology clinic. Um, So a lot of them have compromised immune systems, and I do the education for them when they first come in. And I was talking uh, about how, you know, when you start chemo, now you have to start, you know, you should wear a mask if you have to go out, wash your hands a lot. And they're like, yeah, I I do that. And it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it's not weird now if somebody walks around with a mask. So that was nice that that kind of became kind of a new norm for for people that are in those types of situations. Um, Because it's not like weird not that it ever should have been weird but it's not uncommon now so people don't stare at them weird but yeah it was it was a crazy time (laughs) and i think more other people are also taking that seriously which has the benefit for those for those patients absolutely yes when did you go back to work like where was the pandemic when you went back so i went to back to work in we had him in january i went back to early april Okay. Um, so it was really when we first started seeing um, kind of like the first couple cases pop up. Right. Um, it was it was an interesting time. And uh, it's, the biggest thing for me working in a hospital during that time was to see, which is terrible. Um, I mean, yes, the good of like, you know, the, the, ho- the hospital heroes and the nurses are great and everything, but also like the cracks in the medical field and the hospital and how they weren't prepared for any of this. And hopefully it was a big learning experience for all of them. I ended up leaving the hospital um, and going to a infusion clinic, but it, it it was very eye opening. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, when I saw all of the stuff about like hospital heroes, I felt like 
I bet this sucks. I bet this is not the thing people want to hear who are working a terrible job right now. Oh, yeah. Is that the case? It was. Yeah, okay. The, I mean, we obviously we love helping people. I mean, most nurses, I would like to think, go into the field to help people. Um, but also, like, it's a really scary time because they talk about pandemics in school and, you know, you learn about pandemics or epidemics. or But you don't ever... It's just like everything else. You don't ever think it's going to happen to you or that you're, you know, it's like, it's like right. learning about history. It's like, oh, that was terrible. It'll never happen again. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just like everybody else, we didn't know much about it and we were being exposed to these things. So it's, it was terrifying. But at the same time, you know, we were the ones that had to be brave and face it and take care of these people. So, but then we'd have to go back home and then, you know, you'd hope like I had friends that would work three days in a row and they would stay in a hotel or a motel or whatever for those three days that they were working and then like shower, whatever test, and then go back to their houses. Did you have to do any of that? Um, luckily I did not because where I was working, we didn't have to deal directly with the COVID patients. Okay. Um, and we pre-tested everybody as they came in. I see. So the risk was a lot lower or for mine, it was a lot lower, okay. um, in the area that I was in the hospital, but I had lots of friends that were working, you know, upstairs with the COVID patient. And I definitely yeah. did not see them for a very long time. <laughs> no, that was a lot of that was just really horrifying. Mm -hmm. Moving later into the pandemic, right? We, we're getting, I guess now three years out from the start of the pandemic, there's some lingering things in terms of people having new kind of consciousness around public health stuff. But I know that for a lot of people who got labeled essential workers at the beginning of the pandemic, there's like this little moment of fetishization of like, we love you. You're the best. And then I think it turned into like work harder and right. no, we're not going to pay you more. Cause how dare you want to get paid for doing essential work? Yes. What is it like now in, in your industry um, so that's part of the reason I left the hospital was because a lot of the, the cracks that I saw, like, like for instance, when the pandemic first started, um, I was one of the first people in the hospital. I was like, well, we need to start wearing masks. And one of the, um, I won't say where I worked or who it was, Fair, but yeah. there was a higher up person who told me I could not wear a mask because it was going to scare patients. And instead of us teaching patients, mm -hmm they were willing to put us at risk for the sake of not scaring or not looking bad. And then, you know, fast forward to like four weeks later, it was mandatory to wear a mask. So it's right. just like, it was very disheartening that that was their priority. Um, and then a lot of it was corporate run and a lot of the corporate people in hospitals have no medical experience whatsoever and they have the final word. And it was a very difficult time for that reason, because they weren't prepared and they didn't listen to people that needed um, to be listened to that had the experience. I mean, just like everything, just like in the government, you know, when we had all these things going on, not to get political, but uh, you know, people were <laughs> like, well, no, you need to be taking this or you need to be doing, well, this person said this. And then now like, you know, Fauci is the enemy. And it's like, there's so many conspiracies. It's crazy. But a lot of it was run by people that had no medical experience. They were just, you know, sitting on corporate boards and they had the power. Right. So that's part of the reason I left and went to um, the oncology setting. And it's, it's a lot better in the, in the clinics where the doctors are the ones on the boards for the most part. And I see, yeah. it's not run by just people that went to business school. Right. Yeah. Not to get political, I guess, but speaking of politics, because I mean, I, I work in politics. Sure. It's a, it's a thing where I see a lot of people who were teachers or still are teachers or, our nurses 
getting fired up to go run for office because of how things have gone over the past few years. Do you feel the effects of like what's happening politically in your personal life? Uh, absolutely. It's interesting because there are teachers, thank goodness, or people that are experienced that want to run, but also like all those people that have zero experience that are running and being elected is so scary. Um, and it's an interesting subject, especially being a nurse um, and in oncology specifically. I have a few incidents instances here in Tucson, which like we had talked about is a little bit more liberal than a lot of other towns or cities. Um, we, I have a patient or two who come in and you know, they don't know my personal life or anything for a good reason. And they come in ranting and raving about, you know, Oh, the gay people are trying to, you know, groom our children and, you know, uh, do you see this pretty often? Not that often, but we have a, like, two or three patients that are very vocal about it. I see. And it's very, it's very disheartening because they are more vocal, I feel like, than they used to be. And also being in that position is hard because like, first of all, I'm at a job, so I don't want to say anything. Also, they're there to get chemotherapy, which is really difficult, you know? So you don't... Something really awful is happening in their life. Exactly. So it's, it's not the time or place... And you're there to help them and you don't, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, I know you feel really crappy right now and I'm going to hook you up to chemo, but let me tell you about why you're wrong. (laughs) But then at the same time, they say really awful things and you're just like, you know, you have to bite your tongue. Right. So it's it's an interesting place to be in. Well, I think this is a really great way to look at where those people are coming from because you, as a gay person, have to... Do the work to make yourself have a lot of empathy for their situation, even when they're saying these awful things. And I I wonder, you know, I imagine that part of that work of building empathy for them also has to be about thinking about why are they clinging to these ideas? Where are they getting these ideas from? Do you have any thoughts about why they're so upset about this? Well, the biggest thing is... Fox News. I hate oh, that. Really? Yeah, okay, it's, yeah. it's usually but like, yeah, I, well, I, heard, yeah. I heard Tucker Carlson saying this, or did you know this conspiracy theory? And a lot of it, and a part of me is kind of like, hey, did you know that like, you know, you've known me for six months and you think we get along great and like, I'm gay and I have a baby and, you know, I'm not like this and things are not like this. But then also like, they're there to get treatment. So it's not my place to make them feel uncomfortable. So it's really, but then... But then I feel bad because like, like you said, like as, as a father, we had talked about and having a responsibility for my kid, like, do I not bring it? I mean, I don't bring it up, but also like a part of me is like, should I bring this up to make them see? But then it's like, do they even want to see? Because it's to that point now where like people are so set in their thinking that you can't, you can't reason with them. Yeah. And you don't need to like prove to them that you're a person, right? Right. I, I don't think that's what they need or what you need. But I do wonder, like these are people who are in a really awful moment in their life. Right. They're, they have a lot of pain and then they're also choosing to cling to a lot of pain and anger. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah. And I feel like on some level it would be great to break through to them just to say like, you don't have to feel this way. Yeah. Not even to be like, you're hurting me, but just like, have you considered you could be happy? Right. Absolutely. And then also, why do they feel that they can say that to 
me or anybody that they don't know oh, that right, well. Yeah. Like, why would you bring that up? What? It's just, it's really, it's a weird psyche thing where I don't understand the the rationale behind bringing it up in that time, like where they're at oh, right, in yeah. the clinic to me who they don't know that well. Is there like a TV in the clinic? I mean, I'm sure it's not paying Fox There news, isn't, but, but we have like Wi-Fi. Oh, and, yeah, okay. But still, it's just really interesting that you, because, you know, I go to places or like, you know, if I go or I'm waiting to get my hair cut or whatever the case may be, I don't bring up things that may be controversial because it's, you know, it's a, it's a business transaction. Kind of right. As, as yeah. terrible as that yeah. you know, <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting to be, um, to find the empathy with somebody who's saying such terrible things. Yes. And I think you're right that that like extra boldness feels almost just like confusing and new, I think. Definitely new. <laughs> You've been in Tucson for a long time. Do you feel like that's something that's getting worse? Or is it kind of isolated still? I think here it's still pr- pretty isolated. Um, especially because we are a more liberal um, city. I think we don't see it as often. Yeah. But the extremists are the extremists. Just like just like anything. Like I feel like it's so interesting how Twitter has become such a big... Um, like I don't want to say phenomenon, but like such a big thing. But also like it's such a small fraction of people that are on Twitter. Like the majority of people that I know don't have a Twitter or don't use Twitter if they have a Twitter. And there's so many extreme vocalist people there and it becomes such a like, well, this is what they're saying on Twitter. But it's like, yeah, but it's such a small fraction of people. And it's the small extremists that are really just being so negative about it. Are you on Twitter? I I am. I read stuff. It's not really more political. I look at more for like... um, just frivolous e-online oh, gossip sure, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I don't, it, it, the small extremists are always going to be the most, the loudest people. Right. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that they paint it as it being a majority when I don't think it's a majority. It's I just, don't even think it's like close. I think it's no. a pretty small number of people. Yeah. But they're the loudest or right. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, with Twitter, Elon Musk buys Twitter, and he's tweeting transphobic and homophobic things right. every couple weeks. It's terrible. And he's one guy. Like, right. He's not a majority of anything. No. He just is really rich. And right. Twitter has, like, a lot of profile. Fox News has a lot of profile. And something's going on with a lot of these people who are in pain for whatever reason. And they latch on to that anger. Yeah. I I don't get it. I don't get just being angry and being vocal about being angry and especially with something that has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with anything going on in your life. It's just some, yeah. I don't know. Have you ever had one of those relationships with a patient get better? Um, it doesn't get better per se. They don't, it's always good because I make it good as in like, I don't address it. I try to tiptoe around it and I'm still, you know, I try to be happy for them. I try to, but no, like they have their good days and they have their bad days. They have their good days where they don't bring up, um, crazy stuff. And then they'll come in a week later and they're like, well, I just saw that, um, what was it? I just saw that Pete Buttigieg went on paternity leave and then the government went to hell because of it. And it's like, what, what? And it's all because he went on paternity leave. What kind of man would do that? And it's like, yeah. okay, 
family values guy. Like, right. let's let's shame the person that wanted to spend time with their babies. Right. Which you did, and it was absolutely a great experience for you. I, I would never regret that. Like, I, if anything, I wish I had more time because now you know I'm working full time. I barely get to see my kid. You know, it's yeah, it's yeah. hard. Do you see yourself ever getting to a point where you would say? here's my personal experience as it relates to what you're saying. Like something like that, it's so specific, actually. I, I, I would under different circumstances. Um, and it's interesting. I know we're wrapping up for time, but um, I would, the other day uh, I was at the park with my son, who's three, and there was another kid who's eight. And he came up to my kid and he was like, oh, hey, kid, you know, because they were the only kids at the park. And you know, kids are, they just ask random questions. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was, he was, asked, he was like, he, he looked at me, he was like, Oh, you know, where's your wife at? And I was like, Oh God. And it's like, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, do I say something? But then the kids ate. So it's not really my place to say something, but then also like my son's three and he's going to deal with that when he's in school. Right. So like, I think slowly I am getting to the place where I'm going to start, you know, maybe like sneaking in a few details or words to kind of cue people in a little bit more, but depending on the situation, obviously like at work, it's still like, you know, it's about the patient, not me, but definitely with outside work things, um, I have to be a little bit more, um, Vocal, I guess. <laughs> Pushy. Maybe. With a, with an eight-year-old, you really do have to question, like, how relevant is this, I guess. But right. I, I get it that that's, like, the, the nuance of those situations. Right. Now I'm thinking, you know, when your kid does go to school, so much of the legislation we see is about oh making it harder, not just for queer kids in school, but for kids who have gay parents. Yes. Are you already thinking about how to navigate that? Absolutely. With the whole Florida, don't say gay. Right. It's and that's the thing. It makes me so mad because there is this whole of like, well, it's to not teach kids about sexuality, and it's like, well, no, like this is limiting families. It's limiting people. It's limiting, like, yeah, like I'm limiting myself at work for my for the patient's benefit, for my benefit. But like, yeah, like kids at school, like my son, he's going to have to, he can't just be like, Oh, you know, know, like he can't be ashamed of who his parents are. Um, and he can't be punished for saying I have two dads. Right. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something that I'm, I think about constantly. Do you have like, this is how I'm going to handle it. This is the conflict that might happen. And this is what I would want to do. Um, not yet. That's what I'm working on. And part of the reason going back to, um, kind of getting friends that have the, like that are married and want kids or friends that have kids or that are allies and forming kind of like our own small community, I Mm -hmm. think is part of me learning or having a plan to deal with that because then I have these people that maybe have ideas on how to navigate through that and or um, support systems for when things like that do happen Um, or like my son can like you know maybe be in the same school as another kid that is in our technic community and and like they have each other yeah no exactly because it is it's about building your community (laughs) support system Uh, well that's a great place to wrap up thanks for talking to me Thank you. Thanks again to Juan for being my guest on this episode of the Arizona Equals Conversation. 
and thanks to all of you for continuing to listen to the podcast. If you love the show, please consider leaving a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'll be back next week and the week after that with two more interviews from Tucson. And tonight we'll be recording a live episode of Ask Smart People Smart Questions on the topic of school board governance. I hope to see you there. And if not, I'll talk to you again soon on the podcast feed.